Good morning, everyone. So this morning we are reading from Psalm 62. So follow along. <clears throat> For God alone my soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O God, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his works. We're going to pray together. Father, we thank you so, so much that we can come here together this morning to worship you, our creator God. Father, I pray that you set our minds on you. Holy, good, faithful God. The one that we can trust above all else. For we thank you that you do exactly what you say that you will do. We thank you that you always keep your promises. Father, I pray that you will stir up our hearts this morning to love you more and more. Father, we thank you for our church family here. And Father, we pray for those this morning who aren't with us. Um, and we thank you for those who are getting some time away, Lord. And I pray that you would be so close to them, that your presence and love would be real to them this morning, wherever they are. Father, I pray for those who are going through some difficult times as well, Lord, and ask that they would look to you, Lord. Help them to know that their Redeemer, Jesus, has walked through many of these things, Lord, and understands and knows their pain. So, Father, bring comfort where comfort is needed today. Father, we just really pray that as we focus now on your word, that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to each of us. Lord, help us to hear this with um, accepting hearts. We thank you that you have sent Jesus to save us, Lord, that you have rescued us from the state that we were in. And I pray that our hearts would be even more amazed this morning at your abundant grace. But Lord, we know that you also want to change us. So Father, I pray that we'll all be open to that this morning. Father, come now by your spirit. Help John as he speaks and help our hearts to be open and listening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, Julie. Uh, this morning, yes, we are in Psalm. We're continuing our summer series in Psalms, and we're working slightly backwards this morning. Well, last week we were in Psalm 63, uh, and this week we are in Psalm 62. I noticed last week uh, there was a, a Kazakh conference up in Port Stewart. Uh, happens every year, but this year it was entitled. The, the title of the conference was Unshakable. Unshakable. Aptly named, I think, for the times that we live in. Everything around us at the moment, everything around the world and, and everything the world around us, seems to have been shaken a little bit. And I guess the idea behind the title of the, the week's conference, Unshakable, was that even in the midst of a, a shaken world, a, a world where everything seems to be falling apart, uh, that we would have an unshakable faith even in the midst of very shaken times. As I say, the world around us does seem to be a bit shaken at the minute. Nothing seems to be really steadfast. Nothing seems to be really dependable, sure. And the reality is, for some of us, maybe we've had experiences in our life where everything that you think you've known Everything that you think you have trusted in has been shaken. The very core of who you are or what you are or what you believe has been shaken. As I say, maybe the very foundations of your life have been shaken. Maybe it was when the bank sent a letter. Maybe it was when you couldn't get to sleep at night because your children were making bad choices. Maybe it was when you found yourself uh, engulfed by guilt or shame. Maybe it was when you went to the doctor and got a diagnosis you didn't want. All of these events in life can shake us to the very core of who we are. In this morning's passage, David, King David, faced uh, a shaking that, that probably, and I'm going to say probably, uh, I would imagine almost certainly, David faced a shaking that none of us will. The man after God's own heart who wrote Psalm 62 in the context, as if you were here last week, is the same context that we spoke about last week, and the context was of Absalom's rebellion. David's son, David's very son, had risen against him, turned against him. Uh, just very briefly, I want to walk through that. You'll find the account there if you want to go home and read the account of that, that rebellion. It's in Second Samuel chapters 15 through 18. If you want to go home and read that this afternoon, uh, give you a bit more context, but I'll give you a brief just run-through of what happened here so that you can get the gravity of what we're talking about when we talk about the context that David finds himself in as he writes this psalm. Absalom begins his rebellion by gaining the people's faith in Second Samuel 15, verses 1 to 6. Absalom, after gaining some people's faith, gets a band of people around him. Usually when people are, are planning an insurrection of some sort, that's what they'll do. They'll get a people around them. So he gets these people around him who put their faith in him. He then proclaims himself as king in Israel. Who was king? David. Absalom, his son, gets a group of people around him who put their faith and trust in him, and then he proclaims himself as king. It's in 2 Samuel 15, 7-12. 7 
David then has to flee Jerusalem. Do you remember last week we talked about the, the, him fleeing Jerusalem and being out of uh, the presence of the Lord in the temple and, and missing the temple worship and all those things? That's where he is. He has to flee. He has to get out of there. Absalom then does some horrendous things one of which I mentioned last week, he pitches a tent on the top of the palace and he, he lies with his father's concubines in view of everyone. Second Samuel 16. Then Absalom is killed in Second Samuel 17. And then David, the one who has fled, who is in fear of his life, who his own very son rose up against him and, t- and, and tried to take his position as king in the nation, Then David mourns for Absalom and says this, O my son Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. 2 Samuel 18. Even in the midst of of that, even in in the midst of Absalom rising up against his father, trying to take his his position in the nation, uh, David having to flee to the, the wilderness, being in fear of his life, even at that, he still mourns and weeps over his son because his son is his son. He is facing a, a, a shaking, as I say, that I, I imagine none of us will ever face. And this is where he writes this psalm. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. A few of the main things just to point out in the passage today, uh, I want to just run through a few of the main things, and then we're going to get into a few more things in detail. A few of the main things. When David's world is turned upside down, when everything, as I said last week, the props are kicked out, there's nothing left, David acknowledges that God and God alone will provide the help that he needs. David, a military commander, in charge of armies, says this, God is my fortress. It's in Him. It's in God He finds His protection, His mighty rock, His refuge, all places of safety. That's one thing. He turns to God for everything. Second thing, major thing that pops out, in weighing up David's enemies and in weighing up Absalom as a man, David, David comes to this conclusion, and we're going to look at that in a bit more depth at the end, David comes to the conclusion that, listen, all men are the same. All men, women, are the same. They are but a breath. Doesn't matter if you're of high stature, doesn't matter if you're of low stature, doesn't matter where you fall in the packing order, we're the same. And weighed against God, David will say, we don't really weigh up. We are but a breath. David knew that he could not trust in his material possessions. Setting his heart on them, he sees us foolish. And ultimately, David comes to the conclusion right at the end of the psalm, all power belongs to God. All power belongs to God. It did not belong to Absalom because he could not take the throne that David occupied. And God says, as, 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 God, as Scripture tells us here, says this, God will render unto man according to his works. God will render unto man according to his works. 
All power belongs to God. I don't want to get into that too much at the minute, but all power belongs to God, and God renders unto man according to his works. No one escapes. No one escapes. Ultimately, if we are unrepentant, we get what we deserve. Basically, that's it. Those are the main things in this psalm. Now, I can't speak for you, but, but as, as I read the psalms and I go through the psalms, there's so much of the psalms that I can identify with. I identify with many of them. I identify when David writes about, about grief or guilt or worry or, or, or looking at creation and thinking, wow, look at this, this is, this is crazy. I get all those things. I, I, can, I can understand all those things. But this psalm, I'll be honest, in the context that it is written, is difficult for me to understand. It's difficult for me to, to identify with. I can't just quite get one of my sons uh, planning this insurrection, gathering a group of people. Or like, like, right, okay, let me, let, me, let me just story this out for us for a moment here, right? So I'll say Arne, because he's not here, Isaac's here. So I'll say Arne, right? Arne, in a few years' time, right? Gathers up a, an insurrection of the, of the youth of, of Cornerstone Church, right? Gets a, gets a group of people around him of Cornerstone Church and says, you know what? It's time for the old boy to go. It's time for him to go. And he gets an insurrection of people who he trusts. Jude Somerville's one of them. And, uh, and it, right, okay, we're going we're gonna to overthrow him. We're going to kick him out of the church. Uh, he's not going to be the pastor. Aaron Irvine is going to be the lead pastor now, and this is the way this is going to go, right? It's, it's a wee bit bigger scale, all right? It's just a bigger scale than that, what we see happening to David here. But I can't imagine... I can't put myself in that place where that happens, where your own son does that. I can't get it. Trying to take everything away, trying to publicly humiliate, seeking to kill, and then dying himself. Can you Let's start to, to begin to imagine the range of emotions that David would have been feeling throughout all of that. Going from being displaced, humiliated, to grief over your own son, it's all over the place. And I find it very difficult to put myself in that situation. So what should we be looking for in this psalm? Although David faces this situation, which is unfathomable, I think, to us, what we should be looking for in this psalm is the fact that David had this unshakable faith. Regardless of the situation, David had this unshakable faith. And if David can find this unfaith, unshakable faith in God during such terrible situation, such a terrible situation, unfathomable almost to us, Surely we can find the same. Because at the end of the day, David will say, and I'm going to say to us, we are all the same. Sometimes we look at King David and think, wow, David, unbelievable. You are, but you're in the Bible, but you must be so much greater than me. But you read the story of David and you realize he's a human being. He's a fallen human being like you and I. He went through the same emotions that you and I go through. 
He, went through, he goes through the same situations that you and I go through. And in the midst of that, he finds this unshakable faith. That's what we need to look for. That's what we need to look for. And so with that being said, what are some of the takeaways from David and this psalm this morning? Let's look at it. First point is this. David has a silent trust in God. David has a silent trust in God. David, again, we find him. He's in trouble again. Look at most of the Psalms. That's what you'll find. David's in bother. There's something going on. David's in bother. The Psalm doesn't tell us exactly when this happened or when he writes it or any of that, but he's in trouble. We know the context of what he's in. He's surrounded by his, by his enemies. He sees men in high places commit injustice. He, see, he sees both lowly men and high men engaged in evil. We're, we're, we see here like, like how long will you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? So he's basically saying, why are all these people coming at me? David's soul is under oppression, and it's in that context he says this. My soul waits in silence. My soul waits in silence for God only. See, here we see the souls, David's soul's silent hope in God. David, in the depth of his being, silently hopes, trusts that God will save him. He's surrounded by his enemies. And there's a couple of things he, 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 he could be very easily tempted to do, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't murmur. He doesn't complain against God. He doesn't complain against his friends. He doesn't, he doesn't murmur. He doesn't complain. He doesn't... He, he, he doesn't say that God has forgotten him in this circumstance. No, he's silent. His soul waits in silence. And after announcing this, this silence, for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation, he then turns his attention to God and, just, and, and focuses on him and who he is. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. My fortress. Those are beautiful images of who God is for a man who feels surrounded by his enemies. What David is doing is picturing God as a rock in front of him, this massive rock, which is his enemies are, are clamoring to get him, and this massive rock is in the way to protect him. He says, God is his salvation, the one who rescues him from the hands of his foes. Stronghold, a fortress, protection. But even as, as David does that, he has one eye. He, he says, my, my soul waits in silence. I'm not murmuring. I'm not complaining. I'm waiting. And, and even as he does that, and then he proclaims God for who he is, he has one eye on his enemies. The wickedness of, of, of the men around him. How long will you attack, attack a man? How long will you batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? The picture here is of, of this group of men conspiring to take someone down when they are at their weakest. A picture of pushing someone over when they're weak. A 
tottering fence when it's just about to fall. And David is making a comparison here, and this comparison is very important. David's making a comparison here from someone who is a good man or a good woman opposed to these types of people. Let me explain what I mean by that. They don't do as Scripture talks about Jesus. Jesus says he would not bruise a tender reed nor quench a smoking flax. What does that mean? The men here, what we see here in this psalm, the men here are about to take advantage of someone who is in a weak position. Someone who is going to capitalize on weakness. You see, that's what evil does. Evil is ruthlessly vindictive, and it is attracted to weakness, and it exploits weakness. That's what these men were trying to do. David was at his lowest point, and these men were trying to take advantage of it. That's how he describes the wicked around him. But Jesus talks about himself as one who will not bruise or will not break the bruised reed. We as followers of Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, we are not to take advantage of those who are weak. Not to capitalize those who are capitalize on those who are struggling. We are to be compassionate, full of grace towards those who are struggling and weak. These wicked men are going to take advantage of the weak. And yet in all this context, as David sees his enemies, he says, he will wait in silence for God only. What does it mean for him to wait in silence? Well, if I could sum it up, I'll say this, because there's so many things we can learn from this. There's so many things from that one sentence that we can learn, but it's this. What does it mean for us to wait in silence for God? It means this, an unmurmuring Submission to God's will. An unmurmuring submission to God's will. David here is not like the Israelites in the desert. When things aren't going their way, what do they do? They complain. They murmur against God. They grumble to one another. David's saying here, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait. In the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all this strife, I'm going to stay silent. I'm going to just sit. I'm not going to murmur. I'm not going to complain. God will rescue me. He won't spread discouragement against the people of God by grumbling about God's providence. He's not going to be like, what's God doing? What's happening here? I, I don't understand this. No. He's going to wait in silence. Well, let God do what God does. In silence, he will wait. He won't murmur against God's will. If, if we all, right, could have a mission statement for our lives, I think that would be a good one. An unmurmuring submission to God's will. If I, genuinely, if, if someone, if I was, you would ask me right now what I want written on my headstone, whatever, and if someone could actually say that and that be true, 
an unmurmuring submission to God's will. I, I'll be, I'll be it. I'll be brilliant. I'll be. To have that position, to have that posture towards God, to wait for God to do what God does. We can learn so much from this. Instead of complaining when things aren't going our way, we should be what? Silent. And let God do what God does. Does this remind you of anyone? Does this provoke any thoughts of anyone else? When you hear of David saying, in silence, I will wait for God. Like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus. Jesus before those who would take his life. Jesus before those who would strip him and beat him and punish him and, and, and kill him. Was what? Silent. How often are we tempted to open our mouths? How often are we tempted to complain? How often are we tempted to show ingratitude? How often are we tempted to use our words to, to cut others down? How often are we tempted to do those things? And yet here we have King David and Jesus before their persecutors, before those who would kill them, before those who would, who would ruin their lives. What are they? Silent. They're silent. Why? Why? Because they both had an unwavering trust in God's sovereignty. They both had an unwavering trust in God's sovereignty. Let me ask us a question. When we complain and when we murmur, about the situations of our life, could we honestly say in that moment we are trusting in God's sovereignty? Or when we murmur and when we complain, are we actually saying, I don't believe you're in control? I don't believe you're in control. Because when we murmur and when we complain, we're saying, you've got this wrong. Is that, you know, can you see the logic in that? We're actually saying, you've got this wrong, God. This is not right. What you're, what's going on right now is not, it must be outside of your sovereignty. No, it's not. No, it's not. King David and Jesus had an unwavering trust in God's sovereignty. So that's the first thing. David waits in silent. He has a silent trust. Instead of complaining, murmuring, he, he waits in silence. Second thing we see here very clearly from this psalm is this. It is to trust in an all-powerful God. It is his trust in an all-powerful God. God. If you look at the second part of the psalm, verse 5 through, through to 8, let me just read it. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from Him. 
He only is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge, my God. Trust in Him at all times. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Put your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Second section here, the, the psalm is really split into three sections. And the second section here is about just David proclaiming who God is and, and, his, and his power. So the first part is about a, a, a non-murmuring just posture before God. The second part is a patient hope in God. Patient hope. First, David is exhorting himself. He's, he's, he's preaching to himself. And then, secondly, he preaches to us. First of all, he preaches to himself, and secondly, he preaches to us. David is saying here in verse 5, for, for, for God alone, my soul, he's preaching to himself, my soul waits in silence, my hope is from him. He is my, he's, he's, he's literally just preaching to himself. And then he turns and preaches to us. But the sermon that he's preaching is a two-point sermon. He's not a traditional Presbyterian, is David. Uh, he likes a two-point sermon. And the two-point sermon is this. Wait, trust. Wait and trust. The two-point sermon is patience and faith. Wait, trust, patience and faith. That's it. That's what he's preaching to himself. He's saying, David, listen, listen, to, listen. You have to be patient. God's ways are not your ways. God's timing is not your timing. God's plan has not been revealed to you. You know, he's going to use these circumstances. He's going to do something in these circumstances, but you can't see it. Be patient. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to submit yourself to God's will. You're going to have to submit yourself to God's timetable, God's plan. And you're going to have to trust. Wait and trust. You're going to have to believe that God is all wise. You're going to have to believe that God is all powerful. And you're going to have to believe that God cares for you. Wait and trust. Wait and trust. Patience and faith. How often do we find ourselves in that position? How often, do we, how often do you find yourself in a position where you can't figure it out? How often do you find yourself being, I don't know what's happening. All the circumstances around me look dark. All the circumstances around me look like everyone's going to pot. What's going on? I cannot figure this out. David's sermon to you this morning, sermon to me this morning, would be wait, be patient, trust, have faith. Wait and trust. My time. You're going to have to be patient. That's the, I think that's the, one of the most difficult things in the world to do right now. I've said it before. In the world of Amazon Prime, patience is, is just gone. We want it yesterday. Yesterday. Like, where is the Amazon van? Where is that man? What could he be doing possibly that he's not at my door right now? Some of you are laughing because I can, I can see the people who are laughing because they're the ones that identify with it most. There's two in this room right now, 
and I could name them and shame them, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, but that's the world we live in now. And if it's not here now, it's no good. God doesn't work like that. God never has worked like that. Patience and trust. Wait and trust. That's what it is. Interesting here, you'll find that David talks about his own silence before God. Look, look, like, for God my soul waits in silence. Verse 1, verse 5, for God alone my soul wait in silence. So there, there, that's, that's, that's the sermon to himself. That's, that's him preaching. Wait in silence. Don't be murmuring. Don't be complaining. Don't be causing division. Don't be, don't be going there. Don't do that. But then he says, if you look down, pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. Is he contradicting himself? No. What he's saying is we are to be silent when it comes to grumbling and murmuring and complaining. But we are to be noisy when it comes to taking our requests to the Lord. When it comes to pouring out our hearts to God, we are to be noisy. Taking our concerns, the concerns that weigh heavy on us, to our Father. And David's saying, I have two things for you, two exhortations for you, two recommendations for you. Don't complain but pour out your heart to God. Why? Because He cares for you. He loves you. He wants you to come to Him. Don't be complaining. Don't be murmuring. Don't be spreading division. Don't do that. But come to me. Pour out your heart. When we find ourselves in times like David found himself. Anxious. Stressed. Not knowing what's going on. Worried. What is our first inclination? Is our first inclination to do the things that David has told us not to do? To worry, to complain, to, to murmur, to do whatever we do? Or is it to pour out our hearts to God? Like, I, as, as you'll know, some of you will know, I, I struggle with anxiety. I have done for a wee while now. I'm not an anxious person, but I genuinely think COVID had a lot to do with it, and I, I struggle with anxiety quite a bit. But this week I was, I was reading that verse in Philippians, and it says this. Uh, and this is, these, these are hard verses, Right? This is a hard verse. For anybody who's struggling with anxiety in here this morning, this is a difficult verse for you, right? Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay. Just because you said it, Paul, that's not really how it works, right? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, and that's the key, that's the key, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here's the promise. If you're struggling with anxiety this morning, if you're dealing with this, and it's, it's, it can be sometimes overwhelming. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your quest to God, right? Okay, here's the promise. This is the promise of Scripture. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Because when you're anxious, you, you, it, you, don't understand, you can't understand peace. So it will be beyond understanding. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus. You imagine King David in the situation that he finds himself in. There, there, there's, like, I don't care who you are, how chill out you are, how relaxed you are, how whatever you are, you find yourself in the situation that King David finds himself in, you're going to be anxious. And what does he tell us to do? Pour out your heart to God. Because he knows when you do that, when you when we pray, when we give thanks, when we're presenting our requests to God, it's difficult to be anxious. And we get that peace that we don't understand. We don't understand it. That's why it's supernatural. We can't possibly understand it. Pour out your heart to God. David, in this psalm, has a silent trust in God. He exhorts us. He, he preaches to himself, yes, but he preaches to us. Have a patient hope in God. Wait and trust. He says, he gives us a, a, a demonstration of how to do that. Pray. Come to God. Pray. And then he finishes with some wisdom for life. He shares with us some wisdom for life because of the power and the goodness of God. He shares with us some life lessons here. He starts out by talking about wicked men again. You'll see it in verse 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of highest state are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If the riches increase, set your, set your heart not on them. Once again, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love for you will render unto a man according to his works. See, what he's doing here is that he's weighing up a picture of those around him. Some are of lowly state. Some are of great estimation in the, in the eyes of the people around them. They're men of rank in the army. They're, 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 they're people who served alongside David in the in, in his kingdom. 
Some of them are high. Some of them are low. David says when you put them on the scales, and when you put God on the other side of the scales, what happens? They don't measure up. They don't measure up. Whether they're high or low, whether, whether what they're doing, uh, trying to take my kingdom, whether they're trying to make money, whether they're trying to do whatever they're trying to do, they don't measure up. They're found lacking. Stack them up against God and they don't compare. And he says here, power belongs, all power belongs to God. How guilty are we of how guilty are we of ranking people? Of putting one person above another person or or saying they're greater than the, the you know someone else or whatever. We we do it all the time. And wisdom for, the wisdom that David gives us here is everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. They are but a breath, they will disappear. Whether they have whatever position they have or whether they don't, they will disappear. They're all the same. Power belongs to God. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, the power belongs to God. David finds himself in a situation where there's powerful men who, who seem to be powerful and not-so-powerful men who, who are really coming against him. And he's like, meh. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter what it is, the power belongs to God. In your life, whether this past week, this past month, this past year, this coming month, this past coming week, whatever, you will have things come against you. You will have things come against you. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, let me just say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are involved in a spiritual warfare I think that we are not aware of enough. And so inevitably, you will have things come against you from a spiritual perspective. You're involved in spiritual warfare. You will have things come against you. Where does the power belong? To God. What are we to do? Wait and trust. How are we to do it? In silence. That's how we're to do it. You will have things come against you. The power belongs to God. How are we to wait? In faith and in trust. And how are we to do it? In silence. Just as Jesus did. Just as Jesus did. It says here the power belongs to God. I've been thinking this week about just that, st that statement, the power belongs to God, and reminded again of what the Scripture says of where the power is actually. The power being in the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God is in the gospel. The power of God is in the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. The power of God is in that for you this morning. The power of God is in the gospel story in your life. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever forgiveness issues you have, whoever you need to forgive, whoever you are. The power of God is in the story of the gospel. 
and in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where the power of God is. And so as we come to communion today, as we come to, to celebrate communion, I want us to consider that. But let me, let me just give you that again so that we have it when we go away. Just today, the psalm today is David preaching to himself and preaching to us. Preaching to himself and preaching to us. And he's saying, wait, have patience, trust in God's sovereignty, trust in his power, wait in silence, don't complain. Just remember those things. And, and, and that mission statement for, for your life or for my life, if you want to claim it for yours, take it, that'd be brilliant. An unmurmuring submission to God's will. An unmurmuring submission to God's will. Write that up somewhere. I'm going to write that somewhere this week. Don't know where yet. No, really, I can write it. Let me get it in my office. Don't know. An unmurmuring submission to God's will. Oh, flip that I would complain less. There's never a bigger yap than me. Do you know that? You do know that, actually. Uh, no, you do know that. Uh, so, as David preached to himself and preached to us, I preached to you and preached to me also. So, uh, let me pray first, and then we'll have communion together. Father, we, we can learn so much from David here. An ordinary human being, a fallen human being, sinful human being, who had an unshakable faith in you. Father, I pray that for, for our church. I pray that for these dear folk who's in front of me. I, I pray that, that we would find this unshakable faith in Jesus Christ. That regardless of our circumstance, regardless of how things look, we would know that you're in control. That you love us and you care for us. And you want what's best for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.